Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you guys here with us today. I'm happy to be back with you guys again. Um, unfortunately, Dan has has completely lost it. So even though he's here and present, he may not be able to contribute anything to this conversation. <laughs> Probably not soon. Oh gosh, I'm still reeling from a joke Brad made a few a minute or two ago. I'm, I may not recover. It was it was rough. <laughs> Some jokes. It was a fantastic joke. Undeniably amazing. I'm also happy oh, to gosh. announce that we have a another guest for our podcast today, which is my uh, uh, week-and-a-half-year-old baby. No, two-week-old baby now. That's crazy. Who's, who's here She's in my arms. Cute. So hopefully you guys don't mind any babbling or, or farts or any noises that she makes, you know. Um, so... So yeah, we should have a good time. Make it stop. All right. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. See, this is um, what we were missing from the episode that just you recorded. <laughs> that I man. had to record. A you lot. know, I listened to it and it was fine, but you just talked about things. No one interrupted you. No one said <laughs> just, any any funny jokes. It was just you talking about things. Who who wants that? You know, <laughs> we got to add some spice. Spice up your life. So now now we're going to get a little bit more serious. We're going to be talking about the Uvalde school shooting. As we were talking about this, we've been talking about this a lot as we've been working up to this. And and for me, it came down to to two, two big questions, you know, and I think those are questions that a lot of people have because of how many times these school shootings have happened. And these two questions are, why did this happen? And how do we stop it and other things like it from happening going forward? And so we want to talk about those two things as as much as we can and and break down some of the things other people have suggested, some of the facts that have changed over time um, in terms of what happened and why it happened, and then get down to solutions and also, you know, apparent solutions that really aren't solutions at all. So before we do that, Dan, do you want to start us off with with a quick rundown of what did happen? You know, the facts that led up to it. Because in order to understand why it happened, we need to understand what exa- exactly happened in terms of how he got to the school, why he, you know, why he went to the school, how he got in, how he was able to do what he did. Yeah, and and I'm going to give a brief disclaimer of my own. This this is obviously a topic that everyone cares about and should care about. Um, this hits far too close to home. Um, and so we'll try and be you know, lighthearted when we can be, but this is something extremely serious. And I just wanted to point out, I mean, we've, we've thought about this a great deal, Brad and I, and we've been trying to look into this as much as we can. And, and if you haven't followed the story in a while, if you, if you heard the initial announcements and have since uh, not paid attention you're going to, there's some details that have really shifted. Um, it turns out the police are the police spokesman, at least. I won't throw all of them under the bus without, uh, without reason. The, uh, the initial story of what happened has significantly changed as various details came out. Um, in short, though, this 18-year-old um, shot his grandmother let me add that I'm not. We're not going to be mentioning the the Uvalde shooter's name. There's some reason to think that you may 
decrease the likelihood of people committing these in the future by giving them less attention, giving them less notoriety, giving them less fame, you know, personal fame. Mm-hmm. And as such, I don't, I don't know that this will make a difference, but if it, if it has any chance of making a difference, it's worth trying. So it's in terms of the solutions we're going to talk about, this one's entirely free. <laughs> this one has no cost, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Really simple not to mention his name. Mm-hmm. So we won't be mentioning his name. Uh, the shooter shot his grandmother who survived and went next door and called the police. I don't know the details of her wound, but uh, uh, not bad enough that she wasn't able to, to go and contact the police. He then heads from there to the school. And at this point, we have a very good timeline of what happened. And you can pull this up. I want to say one of the I don't remember which paper did the initial detailed investigation of the timeline, but at this point you can find it in a, in many articles where they'll give you a, a timeline of what happened and when. Um, in fact, at the, at the article I've got up, the NBC DFW, um, you actually have a 3D rendering of the school area with points on it that you can click on and interact with that show you, that describe what happened at that location and when. Um, which is really intense in some ways and, and obviously useful in terms of visualizing what's happening. So, if it, And it could be helpful as I go through this to have that up yourself if you wanted to look at this. At 11.27 a.m., the door is propped open by a teacher with a rock. 11.28, gunman crashes into the ditch, exits, draws a weapon from his backpack, fires at witnesses. At 11.30, two minutes after he's arrived, a teacher calls 911 then kicks the rock away so the door closes. This is the door that the gunman enters through later, and the door does not lock when it closes. That's the key here. That There's been a lot of talk about this particular teacher who propped it open, who calls 911, who then closes the door. Um, initially, a lot of blame had been pinned on this teacher, but the teacher did what they were supposed to, and they closed the door. Problem was the door did not lock. 11.31, gunman breaches fence. Starts shooting from the parking lot. This is three minutes after he's crashed into the ditch. He has not entered the building. 11.32, a patrol officer drives to the school, passes the suspect in the parking lot. Uh, there's been talk of him chasing a teacher and, and you know, being confused in some way, but he passes him. 11.33, the gunman enters the school through the door that did not lock and begins shooting into a classroom. He fires more than 100 rounds. If you know something about guns, 100 rounds is a lot of ammo, quite a bit of weight. It's, it's a lot of bullets. Mm-hmm. 11.35. Three officers enter the school through the open door and are followed shortly by four more. They, two of the seven officers, receive grazing gunshot wounds. So we are, it's 11.35, we're seven minutes in, and they've exchanged fire with the gunman. There are seven officers present. At 11.37 to 11.44, there's 16 more rounds of gunfire. At 11.43, the school posts on its Facebook page that is in lockdown due to gunshots in the area. 12.03, and we're getting bigger gaps here, right? Uh, 12.03, this is 20 minutes later, after the school posted. 
19 officers have arrived on the scene and gathered in the hallway. A student in room 112, which is where the gunman is located. There's room 111 and 112, and the gunman, uh, the two are connected, interconnected yeah. classrooms. Mm. The gunman is now in there. The doors are locked. A student in one, room 112 places a 911 call that lasts 1 minute and 23 seconds. At 12.10, 7 minutes later, another 911 call is placed from the student in room 112. And the caller informs the dispatch that multiple people are dead. At 12.13, the same student calls 911 again. Now, let me just pause in the timeline at recapping. We're at 12.13. There have been at least seven police officers present since 11.35. That's a long time. A long time. Over That's 40 almost minutes. 40 minutes. The gunman is still alive and he's still killing people. There have since the number of police officers has gone up since 1203, there have been 19 officers. Where are they? They are gathered in the hallway outside of the room where the man has locked himself in with the students and teachers of that room. 1203. We're up to the student is calling. We're up to, uh, 1213. When these police officers are later asked what they were doing at this point to get into the room, they informed the press that they were not trying to get into the room. 1215. Border Patrol tactical team officers start arriving on the scene. What do we mean by tactical team? We're talking some, something akin to a SWAT team. Mm -hmm. 1216, the student in room 112 calls 911 again, reports that there are eight to nine students still alive. Again, they're not trying to get in the room currently. The school posts on Facebook there's an active shooter at the school at 1217. 1219, another student, this one in room 111, calls 911, but hangs up when another student says to do so. 1221 p.m. The shooter fires again, reportedly at the classroom door. Officers move down the hallway toward the location. Later, three gunshots can be heard at this time on a recording of a 911 call. 12.30, the school posts again on Facebook. This time to say the students who'd escaped the school were being taken to a high school on the other side of town. 12.36, the same student calls 911 again and is told to remain on the line and stay very quiet. The caller tells 911 that the gunman shot the door. At 12.43, the student on the phone, who's remained there now for seven minutes, asks 911 to please send police now. A few minutes later, 12.46, the student on the phone tells 911 they can now hear police next door. Now, the police have been next door virtually... 19 of them have been virtually next door. They've been, they were out in the hall before, and now they're next door because they moved out of the hall when shots were fired at the door. But the police have been very, very close for at least 50, 40, 50 minutes now with 19 of them. There was probably 
at least several, very close for over an hour now. And the students can hear them, and they're wondering why they're not coming. Uh, at 12.47, the student on the phone again asks 911 to send police now. At 12.50, Border Patrol tactical officers, using keys borrowed from a school custodian, enter the classroom, fire at the gunman, and kill him. The person, the student who called 911 was able to get out. Interesting enough. At 12.51. Now, if you know, this is, this is a point worth making, though it's not going to be the primary purpose of our discussion here. The, the training that you get for a live shooter your job is to stop the shooter at all costs as soon as possible. There is no world in which it is, it is okay or a part of training for you to simply stop and be waiting for some tactical team to step in. Because every moment you delay, people are bleeding to death and more people are being shot. Yeah, the only scenario where you make that switch is if it's a hostage situation versus an active shooter, which are different. Which are different, mm -hmm. yes. And, and if it's a hostage situation and there are people bleeding out, you may not make that switch. This is why, this is why if you've seen a, uh, any kind of movie portraying a hostage situation, as soon as the shooter, the shooter starts shooting hostages, mm -hmm. you move in. Mm -hmm. You move in. Um, and they can hear gunshots going on in the classroom. Um, and every moment that they delay, every moment they're not actively trying to stop the shooter, students who have already been injured are dying. In total, the officers, at least seven officers, were present from 1135 to 1250. And for most of that time, they were not doing anything but what, making sure he didn't leave that room. Meanwhile, there are students dying and being killed in the room. This is a massive mistake. It was a decision made by the, the leader that was present there, and he should rightfully be held responsible for that decision. And it's a decision that led to one of the deadliest shootings. If they had, if the seven officers who had initially exchanged fire had continued to pursue him despite their injuries, the seven officers would have got him. I can't believe that he would have dropped all seven of them. He may have been able to shoot several of them and perhaps killed them. You would have then saved the lives of at least a dozen children. Maybe. I mean, we don't know exactly on the timeline. Yeah, I don't know where all the bodies ended up being. I don't know where all the people ended up being killed at. But you would have saved many lives there's there's lots of things that that go into it and and absolutely the the police response is one of them but it's it's not the only one and i don't want to focus exclusively on that i want to i want to dial it back and, and go back to the original question of why did this happen and so and so we needed to line up what are the blocks that had to be in place for this to happen okay number one you had someone who was incredibly mentally unstable without that this wouldn't have happened you know what I mean? A sane person yeah. wouldn't have done this. This was this was not a criminal act. This was a deranged act. And so that's the first thing is you had some some serious 
mental health issue, some some sort of derangement. Second thing, this person had access to these weapons. He was able to purchase them legally. He was able to purchase over a thousand rounds of ammunition. I believe he had two different assault rifles. Um, and so he had access to a crazy amount of firepower, right? So that's the second thing that was necessary. Yeah, and that should be granted by by anyone who's even people who are a fan of guns and all those kind of things, like like I am. Uh, a, a deranged person with a nuclear missile is more dangerous than a deranged person with a regular missile, and and, and so, so on, on down, down a down scale of weaponry. Yeah. Um. So so that's the, the second thing that that was necessary. Um. The the third thing was that he had to get inside the school. And and as Dan pointed out, this is where the story actually changed over time. As originally the argument was, well, the door was never closed. It was left prop open and he just walked in. And so it was a human error that caused the problem. And and now we know it wasn't human error. Well, almost everything is human error. Just depends on which human. <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Um it was it was a door that didn't do what it was supposed to do. You know, the, the teacher closed the door and called 911, which is what they were supposed to do, but the door didn't stop him from entering. He just pulled on the handle and it opened. That was a serious problem. Yeah, imagine he's – the difference between him engaging the seven officers in a hallway in which he's got some cover rather than just standing outside of the school building is – all the difference in the world. And then and then there's and then the other thing that allowed him access is that he wasn't stopped by either the school resource officer who originally the argument the, the story went that the school resource officer actually engaged with him, you know that the shots were exchanged. That never happened. The school resource officer didn't didn't see him or whatever and there was no engagement. He wasn't present there at the time. He shows up later. He shows up later. He shows yeah. up early on, mm-hmm. very quickly because he's close by, but he was not actually in the school. And so so there's your there's your first problem is there's there was no officer there until the police officer shows up and the police officer who was only there because of the call the grandma made, which we can't plan on. We can't plan on a a nine one one call going out minutes before the shooter gets there. Yes. And so that police officer is there basically by dumb luck. And still doesn't see him. Um, in fact, this story is 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 made even more awful by the fact that that this should never have happened. You know what I mean? I mean that 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 the grandma surviving and calling nine one one and the police being called minutes earlier should have easily stopped him from gaining access to the school. You know, if that door had been locked and he couldn't have gotten in right then, yeah. you know, yeah. there were several police officers who followed him through that door. Two minutes later, which meant if he spent a minute trying to get open that door or walked around the school to get another door, he would have run into those officers and there would have been a shooting outside the school and that probably would have been the end of it because he probably would have fled, been pursued and captured or been captured right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, the stars aligned in a very unfortunate way for for him being able to do what he did. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of things had to fall into place. Because and, yeah, because a lot of things were against him and how it, you know, he yeah. was extremely unlucky and should have been stopped, but wasn't. And mm-hmm. that's and that's very very unfortunate. Um but also highlights how many security gaps there are that someone this unlucky was still able to be successful is is a very real indictment of the security system that this school had Mm -hmm. so and then and then the last thing that he had the last opportunity that he had was you know almost an hour and a half of uninterrupted 
time in the school. You know what I mean? Which is which is because of the police response, which is the thing that Dan you already covered. So these are all the things that 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 had to be lined up. You know, you had to have the mental instability, the access to these firearms, the access to the school, um, no police force there to stop him, and then no police response of any signif of any significance for an hour and a half. You know, if the police hadn't shown up for an hour. The story basically would have happened the exact same, which yeah, shows he might how have little moved from room to room. Maybe because that because if that first officer was there in the hallway and he knew it, even if it was just one officer, I'm I don't think he would have moved rooms as soon as he knew he was being yes, pursued. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, it's it's a it's a frustrating story in a lot of ways. Uh, the actual news thing, and I wanted to go through that timeline in particular to update people on it because they may have they may not have heard the. The updates to it as we've we've learned more. But as you were saying, the how do we stop this? Um, an effective, a more effective police response is would be better. But that's not how you prevent it, right? That's that's the how do we not have this happen at all? Not just minimize the casualties. Yeah, especially the question we want to address. Especially because if if he hadn't shot his grandmother, or if he had killed his grandmother and she hadn't made that nine one one call. You know what I mean? If she hadn't been able to make that 911 call, no police would have been called until he was at the school, which was minutes later. You know, that first officer, those first officers were there so quickly because they were responding to an earlier 911 call. Yeah. Yeah. And how on earth did he crash into a ditch? I mean. Yeah. Versus <laughs> driving right up to the school. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. And walking through the open door. Yeah. Before the person could could do it just weird things well it wasn't an open door it was oh you're talking about the early story you're talking about i'm confused yeah because the door wasn't open when he walked through it it was closed yes but it would have been open uh it wasn't open because they could hear gunshots outside gotcha yeah yeah if he had just driven up and and maybe the the teacher couldn't have even closed the door in time who knows right right anyway the the details are um that's to say nothing of we could spend a while talking about the uh the parents who tried to get in and help their kids who were prevented mm-hmm. by the police who were at the time not doing anything. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why this happened is all of those reasons. And the obvious transition therefore is the, how do we stop this going forward? Because, because our goal here is not just to, 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 to place blame, you know, I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> placing blame actually serves a purpose because it's it's about diagnosing the problem accurately you know what i mean but the thing is is placing blame is not about finding a scapegoat that makes us all feel better you know what i mean yes if if the teacher had left the door open and we all could have been like it was the teacher's fault and then we all feel better and don't feel a need to change anything that would be a real problem because you know because as you see the more you look at this story that no one mistake was the result of what happened. This is like an airline crash where many things go wrong in order for this to happen. And so we need to look at all of those things if our goal is actually to stop this and things like this from happening in the future. And so that's what we want to look at. So we want to look at all of these things and what can actually be done. So let's start with, should we start with security? What should we start with? Mental health? <laughs> I mean, I mean, for the sake of consistency, let's start with number two, as okay. <laughs> as as they say in uh, the movie Dudley Do Right. 
We're going to start with mental health. Sounds Let's start good. with mental health. In part because mental health will be the quickest point we make because, because it's remarkably difficult to do anything about or to or to address effectively. Let's put it that way. And it's and it's not the, our area of expertise either. And it's not our area of expertise, right? So we get if if this were a happy, healthy human being, he would not do this. People don't do this on a whim. They don't do this because they're bored one day. They don't do this because they had a bad day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right? There's there's more factors that go into it. Yeah, there's something more serious going on here. Yes, at the very least, we would say this this person must be miserable and bitter to do something like this, to go target specifically an elementary school. Um, you've got to be twisted in a variety of ways. So anything that would help address that could potentially stop future shooters. How you go about doing that is very, very hard because ultimately your entire life, in some sense, affects your, your mental health. Right? Did he have, you could look at, does he have any f- close friends? The answer is no. Um, he had one person who was described as a friend who occasionally would do, would play video games with him and knew some, you know, a little bit about him. Um, there are signs that he was, uh, what people would describe as an incel, you know, someone who, who having been rejected in his eyes, having been rejected unfairly by all the women that he had want, had been interested in, was then angry at women in general. What's the term um, you used? Incel? Incel. Have you heard that? I have not. You've not heard of that? I've not heard of incel. Uh, I've heard of it. I, and anyway, anyway, the, the idea is it's, it's men who are angry at women. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who've accepted that they're never going to be respected by women and are yeah, thus, like I think I'm familiar them. with that idea. <laughs> I've just never heard that that term for it. Incel. Yeah, I can't I can't remember what it stands for, but obviously it stands for something. Uh, enforced celibate, cel- being something like that. Okay. Uh, uh, but they uh, he he would message women and say things like. Uh, like threatened to rape them and things. So um, that's obviously a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this is behavior that people don't do. Somehow he had not had, though the police were over at his house often because his mother was a druggie. Um, and his, his grandmother, obviously, who he's interacting with and who he shot early on in the story. Um, these are all, it's surprising in some ways the police were not there. I think he was being raised basically by his grandparents because of the the lack of care from from his parents which which is another another you know thing that probably didn't help him in not having a a support group as you were saying when you don't have those strong connections um yeah in terms of mental health i i don't think the solution is we just throw everyone in therapy um i don't know what all the solutions are my my rule of thumb is Mental health has gotten worse in the last couple of years with COVID. And in fact, mass shootings have gone up. You know, lots of crime has gone up, but including mass shootings have gone yes. up since COVID, which does seem to indicate that there may be a correlation between mental health and these mass shootings. Um, if you want to know what our evidence is for it, it's not concrete, but there does seem to be a connection. Um, and worst case scenario, you help mental health and people are a lot happier and healthier and mass shootings stay the same, then, you know, 
Oops. Um, you could take it all back. Um, because you know you're because because you're doing a good thing. It's it's like you said about you know what are the costs. If you're looking for an idea of how to help mental health, what you want is a reverse of what we did in 2020. You know what I mean? So what are things that happened to you as a person in 2020 that were difficult that you can try and fight against to help with mental health? And obviously, I'm not talking about getting COVID, but I'm talking about things like isolation. You know what I mean? People stopped hanging out together. People stopped forming connections with other human beings that were in the same room with them. Instead, spending more time in in virtual connections or not connecting at all and just staying home. You know, people stopped going to school or when they went to school, it was for less time and they weren't able to do the extracurriculars that connected them. Um, people lost a lot of their hobbies and activities that gave them, you know, something fun to look forward to. You know, people lost a lot of hope and they gained a lot of fear. Um, these are all things that happened in the past couple years that generally degraded, you know, people's mental health, at mm-hmm. least here in the mm-hmm. United States, you know, that it was kind of a universal thing that happened to all of us that, you know, I got affected by that. You know, I, I, I didn't feel as good as I did before. And that's something that, that a lot of people suffer from. And so that's something that you can combat, you know, there's things you can do and try and form those connections with people who you see who don't have a lot of connections um, try and, and reach out to people, try and spend more time outside and spend more time with others engaged in, in healthy activities are just a couple of things that don't require a lot of funds that don't require, um, extreme intervention, um, that could help things like this in the future that we could all do on an individual basis. Right. Right. And the things that help you automatically help other people because your you connecting with other people helps them as well right it's a two-way thing it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a social thing that, it, that has a ripple effect outward um you could change probably any one detail of his life and and input some kind of meaningful work that he found satisfying or a meaningful friendship or a meaningful you know family relationship or a you know a meaningful, uh, yeah, even even some kind of philosophy or something. Yeah, if he, or, or if religion he had or, one strong tie that kept him grounded, right? It could have made all the difference. And so, yeah, it, there's as we said it initially. There's so many ways in which you could adjust this and change this and help this that it's hard to pin down any one thing. And as you said, uh, the classic maybe therapy isn't necessarily the solution, but I mean, it's also a possibility. No. And, and there, yeah. And there are institutional things that can be done. I mean, creating support networks and community networks for people who don't have access to that. You know what I mean? For people mm-hmm. like things like, uh, you know, a big brother program, you know, where you, you don't have a male role model. We're going to tie you up with someone. That's something that I, that's an example of something that might've helped someone yes, in these yes. kind of circumstances before they reach this point. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and maybe not, who knows? And it's like I said, it's a, it's a nebulous area, but definitely an area where more time and effort and money put into this area is not a bad idea. The thing that we fear and the, the, wor- the worst thing that we can do, I pointed out earlier, I said it essentially that like, going to a kindergarten is about the worst thing you can do. Um, and that means that someone who wants to do the worst thing they can do goes to a kindergarten. There's a, there's a strange uh, relationship between 
us fearing and despising something and someone who wants to do what we despise then targeting that thing. So Dan, what you're talking about is a, a very nebulous idea in terms of how you fix it. Is nebulous your word of the day, Brad? So, I don't yeah, know if I've so, ever heard you use it, and I think this is number three here. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying it. You know, I'm using it, and I'm just I'm like, you know what? This is just nebulous, just nebulous, nebulous, nebulous. Um, <laughs> did I mention how nebulous this is? I don't know. I I don't know. I I feel like it's a better word choice than ambiguous, but 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 maybe I'm wrong. It's Anyways. definitely funner. It's, I like the sci-fi vibe. Uh huh. Um. But anyways, it's this aspect of school shootings have actually become a cultural symbol is is what we're talking about here that that the worst thing in the world is a school shooting and and you're taught that from a very young age because schools have lockdowns, they have active shooter drills. Your your friends and your classmates talk about school shootings. It's such a an icon in a bad way it's infamous but it's still an icon of one of the scariest things that can happen and the thing is is that things that are really scary are also associated with power you know what i mean that when we think of when we think of uh of monsters we think of them as scary but we also think of them as powerful and and something that i think often happens with with mental health issues with with younger people and maybe older people too I've, I've never been an older person so i don't know is is that a lot of it stems from from powerlessness you know that that these kids they they don't have these connections they don't have this stability and they feel powerless and they feel helpless and they feel disconnected and all those things build up and up and and they feel a lot of anger and a lot of hate and so they want to get back at this world that's that's wronged them and so when they feel that way, what do they turn to? Well, it could be anything. And people people do all sorts of things. I mean, mass shootings happen all throughout the United States in different ways. Um, some people kill themselves. Some people will, will go and, and, and do whatever. But more and more, because of this cultural symbol, this icon that we've built up, the answer starts to become more and more inevitable – that they're if they really are at the cliff's edge and completely disconnected and ready to jump off, there's a, a higher likelihood that they will turn to shooting up a school. And it's because of that that buildup of of this place of of infamy for school shooters. And how do we how do we stop that? Well, you know. As Dan said already, the first thing we can do is is stop talking about the, the school shooter's name. Try and try and 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 distance as much as possible this act from the person who did it. So that we're, we're we don't want to encourage people to do this because we're bringing attention to it. But at the same time, we need to talk about what happened, and people need to know about what happened so that we can stop it from happening in the future. You know, we can't have no news media coverage of these kind of events we can't cover them up in order to stop them from happening and so it's a weird gray area it is about how you handle that but it it's at least worth noting that that's there that there's that there's something problematic about focusing national attention on something because it brings it up 
Yeah, if if you really wanted to show someone that they should have paid attention to you and should have given you what they want, what you wanted, and should have uh, shouldn't have ignored you or bullied you or been you know whatever it may be or or try and make people as miserable as you are or you know whatever their motivation may be, why would you do something less than the worst thing you can think of? And if this if the culture points, if in the in our culture the worst thing is the school shooting, which it is then or or a church shooting i guess is a is a similar alternative you can go do something like that it makes sense that that's what people at the extreme will do that's what people who are looking to make their mark in the worst way and you'll notice that trend in in kids who haven't reached that edge or who may not even be close to it but who are acting out for attention instead yes. of yeah, saying yeah. something like i'm going to kill myself they might say, I'm going to blow up the school. Not because they have any intention of doing it, but because they're trying to get attention like, you know, you know, attempted suicide is designed to do or or a claim at suicide is, is designed to do is now turned towards, you know, this new abomination because that's what gets people's attention. Yeah, it's it's horrific, but it is what it is. And if somehow we can, as you said, discuss these issues and also minimize uh the that aspect we ought to try and avoiding the name is a small thing that we can do in that direction with regards to security um it, it's interesting on these next two on security and gun laws because often this is the partisan divide republicans go for security because they don't want uh further gun restrictions and democrats go for gun laws um Presumably, because I guess it's not necessarily the same that they also don't want security. But um, I, I've heard some people make a case that by increasing security, you will scare the children or scar them in some way. You know, having lots of guards or something around. Um, but anyway, th this is where things will may devolve into partisanship in discussions uh, as each party tries to pursue. <laughs> a solution without uh, also without bothering their base and, and each of them have very different views on this we're going to discuss each of them in turn and try and give them as as fair a shake as we can starting with security because that's what we started with earlier security is uh an interesting problem that's mu that's essentially about cost um you can have Cost. Always have more security. I was going to say cost and practicality. Cost and practicality. Fair enough. You yeah. know, and, and a good example of that is is some of you have probably heard Ted Cruz, where he suggested that the solution is is that schools from now on should just have a single door with a security guard in front of it, and that will be the solution. You know, if every school has only one door in and out, this will solve the problem. And it's like, yes, if you literally only had one door for each school and that door was well protected i could definitely see that being effective in terms of stopping school shooters but it causes so many other problems that that are you know it's a long list of other problems you know fire hazard alone is the number one if you have a school with 600 people you cannot have them exit through one door 
if there's a fire. School pickup day times. Like, you know, you know how hard it is to exit kids uh, out of a yeah, school um, with recess, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many problems that just stack up and up and up that, that completely demolish an idea like that. And so but you have to factor in you're right. yeah, yeah, functionality yeah. and cost. You're right. Because in terms of security, you can do a lot to increase security that absolutely crushes functionality. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, That's a good point. Why, that is a balance. Why aren't all schools just underground bunkers, you know? <laughs> right, right. Just lean That's into cost it. and functionality, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, generally, when in terms of security, the proposals we see thrown around are, are I mean, the most obvious one is you increase the number of security guards. Um, some schools have resource officers. Not all of them do. Um a resource officer is essentially a security guard specifically for the school. Well, a lot of them are actually are officers, right? They're actually police officers yes, who are designated yes. to help the school. So an SRO yes, so is a police a, officer who's for the school. And and that's a good that's a useful clarification. It's not technically a security officer, uh, a security guard because security guard is separate. It's important because often security guards are unarmed or they're untrained. If it's a police officer, you know they're armed, you know they have training, you know they have the ability to call for backup almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There are a lot of things yeah, that a police officer a, has that, you know, a mall cop your, may not have as Paul, yes, Paul Bart will demonstrate. I was just going to say, we use a different term when we're talking about competent security that isn't a police officer. We say private security. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. <laughs> there's security guards and there's private security and we, we use them differently. Uh, at least in my, in my experience, those have been used differently to, conveys very different things. Private security, better than cops. <laughs> security guards, worse than cops, much worse. <laughs> um, yeah, so they have a resource officer who is an actual police officer um, assigned to the building. And uh, these generally, these police officers are either there or they are close. They, they're not going to be there. Often it's one officer, and obviously they can't be there every moment the school is open. Um, that would be impractical for one person, um, which is why like they, they may go to the they, – they're usually there during pickup and drop-off and other crucial times where, where things are more likely to happen. Um, and then beyond that, they're there a good portion of the time or close. They, I believe they often have requirements to be within you know, a certain small distance of the mm-hmm. school so they can respond quickly. Which is, which is what the resource officer in this case did. He was close, responded quickly. Um, he's one of the first people there. Um, but you could increase the number of officers. And at that point, you could have one or two or more people there all the time. And would that make the kids safer? Of course it would. Of course it would. You would, you would have people are much less likely to go to places where there are armed guards mm. than, than places that don't have armed guards. Right? At that point, you, you might change things in the culture so that, say you had, for this, just for the sake of example, say you had 10 armed guards at every school. Right? This would become a very hard target at that point. And after a time, I think there would be a cultural shift towards uh, other locations where you could do a, commit a similar crime that did not have a bunch of armed guards. Um, I guess in the past, things like movie theaters or malls and stuff like that, right? These would be, you would go to the school and you'd go, huh, 
I'm probably not going to be able to do what I want to do, and you would go somewhere else. Well, and, and you don't even have to go to the school because so many school shooters, <laughs> like most people in general, went to school. And so they have an idea of of yes, what the security right. is. I mean, no one's more familiar with the lockdown procedure for a school than the student who lives through it on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Who, who yes. experiences it and sees it and knows what security implementations there are and there aren't. Yes, and who is then the school shooter 100% of the time, right? It's, the school shooters are never like homeschooled. Some. At <laughs> least <laughs> well, not as far as I know. There's probably an anomaly out there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. There's always an exception, but. But. Um, but, but usually so, they're just called domestic incidents at that point. Yes. Yeah. That was a joke. It was a bad joke. <laughs> Domestic incidents because it's because they're they're going to their yeah, home, okay, which is their school. Okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you for this, Brad. I'm here to you help. were missed. Truly, um, truly, you were missed, and truly, you're here to help. I'm sure. <laughs> one of those is sarcastic. Um, uh, leave it to the audience to figure out which one. <laughs> Sure, a lot of people are asking, are you sure they're not both sarcastic? <laughs> so with regards to security, obviously 10 police officers is a lot of money. That's a, a police officer there on site is you know, what is the police officer's salary? What is you know what would oh, that cost? Yeah, what are the equipment Ten costs? When the equipment costs, the training, all of those things that would go in, you'd have to radically expand the police departments in small towns to accommodate this. Um, there are 97,000 public schools. It's like 97,500 or something, mm -hmm. roughly 97,000 public schools. You're going to put 10 guards in each one. You're going to have to hire almost a million police officers. Where are they going to come from? Mm -hmm. Do we have a million people who are unemployed who want to be police officers? Like, how's yeah, this yeah, going to yeah. work? Um, but could you hire, say, two and put them in the schools? Brad and I were running some numbers. There was a there's a Republican line um, I have heard from people like which we try and listen to a variety. And uh, the Daily Wire is always one trying to check in on because they represent, I think, a wide swath of opinion. A lot of the Daily Wire people were were commenting on how we just spent 40 billion on Ukraine on a on something of a whim. They didn't even ask for that much money, but we we gave them 40 billion. Um, and worth of equipment, probably, probably not in cash, but well, and all sorts of things. Yeah, how much of it actually went to Ukraine? Who knows? Because that's how <laughs> that's government just, spending goes. That's right. That's right. Forty billion was appropriated on behalf of Ukraine for various purposes. Uh, and uh, if we can spend forty billion for that, surely we can pay for security guards in schools for a, you know, instead. And I, that made me curious. I wanted to run some numbers, see if that was feasible, because my initial thought was 97,000 public schools, even if you just added two security guards. It's going to cost a lot. Two uh, resource officers. That would be a fortune. And we ran some math and roughly charging, uh, what did we end up, 80,000 per person? We're, we're assuming a, a pay of, say... Forty to sixty thousand, depending on the place. Yeah, and it's going to be and, more uh, in some training areas. and yes, yes, and various expenses, and maybe eighty thousand per person is low because of the complications. And obviously, this would be on a yearly basis. Um, 
but you we ran the math and and it's actually 15 billion 15 and a half billion some napkin back of the napkin math as they say <laughs> which is less than i thought right that's actually there's actually it's, something it's to possible. the idea like you could you could do yeah. that when you when you talk yeah. about the federal you know trillion dollar budget that's not impossible yeah we're spending like three and a half trillion last time i checked i haven't checked lately because it's just always depressing um <laughs> no i just haven't looked lately <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing we're spending at least three and a half trillion a year still well, and and as the federal government's demonstrated when there's something people agree on they're willing to spend trillions to fix it i mean you saw with covid there were several trillion dollar covid packages that were approved yes and, I mean, yes not just by the government but by the people Yes. Yeah, so we, we say, well, we want to upgrade the security in general, not just uh, more guards, but say uh, better security systems and doors that lock automatically from a switch. You know, you could, uh, you, you, pu you put in a camera system around the school and you put in a, a security center in the building that you, know, uh, you have, you have the classroom doors are actually designed to withstand an assault, which is, which is costs money but it's not as expensive as you would think you know a reinforced right. door with a reinforced lock you know maybe they have those uh, just just a simple you know uh crossbar lock that the teacher can drop so that even if you have a key you can't get in that the teacher can can secure their classrooms or something you know what i mean and and we're not none of these suggestions are uh ironclad suggestions or a final yeah it's something that that you know you do research to see. Hey, what are the ways? You know, here are the last hundred school shootings. What security system would have stopped the most of these for the least amount of money? You know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and we end up paying uh, fifteen billion, fifteen and a half billion for the security guards. Probably more like twenty billion because everything's more expensive. Probably way more than twenty billion. But but then you add the cost of some of of. Going through and doing all the doors, you add the cost of uh, some updated cameras and automatically locking doors on the outside. Um, you you spend even say a, a hundred billion in a one time thing plus an additional whatever the maintenance is for the doors and salary across time um, on a yearly basis. Um, you could do that. You could do that. Um, is that the best? bang for your buck in terms of stopping crime i don't know it's hard to stop crime <laughs> off the top of my head i don't know you know it, it no, would be I mean, really expensive and it probably would stop more a lot of school shootings and it could stop enough that it would it provided a cultural change and and yeah and it also is a matter of uh in terms of effectiveness and stopping crime in general you know if your goal is to stop homicides year over year that's probably an inefficient use of funds because school yes. shootings are so rare. You know what They're I mean? They're a tiny portion of the of the total homicides. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's money you could put in other places that would be much better spent. But in at least at least statistically speaking, you know what I mean? Yes. But, yes. But life isn't just statistics because because the other real problem here is that everyone's sending their kids to school. And yeah. And a there's, there's a massive population. and there's a massive amount of trust you have to have as a parent to send your kid to somewhere that that could be potentially dangerous. You know what I mean? Um, it's something that we've talked about before with with COVID is that risk assessment is often irrational, that it's not based off of the actual numbers, that the odds of of your your child being killed in a school shooting 
are much, much lower than the odds of them, you know, being killed in so many other ways, you know, whether it's a car crash <laughs> or sickness or or much more likely that they're actually killed by someone that you know, you know what I mean, in a domestic incident, things like that. Yes, yes. Um, you know, those are all things that are way more likely to kill them than a school shooting. But you have control or at least the illusion of control over so many of those things. You know what I mean? You know the people that your children are interacting with. You know that you're not going to kill your own child. You know that you're going to drive safely. And that gives you the illusion of safety, even though you can't control the cars around you. You know, but when you send your kid to school, you don't have that illusion and so beefing up the security staff and and revamping the door system adding security cameras etc etc while not being statistically significant could absolutely be culturally significant in how people perceive the safety of schools and with the the rate of school shootings you know if they're on the rise that might be something you need to do before you have people abandoning school systems. You know what I mean? And there's other ways you could address this. We're talking about kind of the most formal way of actually getting officers there. Um, and if you're thinking three three officers there, say you've gone from one, you've added an additional two, um, isn't that much. It It's enough. You don't need to be able to stop everything. You need to be able to slow the guy down. You need to be able to slow the person or persons doing this down so that the when the response comes, they're not barricaded in a room. You know, they're not not that this person was barricaded, but they're not in a room or they're not uh, already in the building, right? Any, anything you can do to slow them from getting into the building or from moving through the building. And in the case of this scenario, you know, if that door had locked or if when the 911 call came that there was a guy outside the school, there was an officer already inside who starts running to that hallway. So when that shooter enters that door, you've got a police officer there waiting for him. You know what I mean? Any of those things uh -huh. could have changed the game. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And if, if money's your worry, then in terms of security, there are cheaper and alternative ways that aren't so formal. Um, there are schools, uh, several private schools and charter schools that I've heard of, uh, that they take their teachers out shooting and their teachers are armed so that if someone steps into the class, say there's a shooter like this, it's announced. People know there's a shooter. Um, someone opens the door to their classroom or comes into their classroom, the teacher is ready and ready to fire at them. Um, you could, you could do various things that would make it, that would maybe even have a, a greater effect on security, depending, you know, the, the details of these things matter, how you train the teachers, who the teachers, all of this matters, but, uh, that would also be comparatively cheap mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and see just like with all suggestions there there's another psychological cost which is that most parents because parents who send their kids to private schools are different than parents who send their kids to public schools because parents send their kids to private schools are picking and choosing the private school they want you know there yes, are there are yes. a lot of conservative private schools that have that as part of their mantra and so parents who send them there have no problem with armed teachers. In fact, they appreciate that, I'm sure. Um, but public <laughs> yeah. schools 
need to be set up for everyone to go there. And so if you have public schools now that have armed teachers and you've got parents who aren't comfortable with their kids being around guns at all, which is not an unreasonable position to be in as a parent, where's your option? Since this is this is the school that you've been allotted, this is where your kid can go to school, this is your only option, and now your option is a situation that you're extremely uncomfortable with. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, and the states have most of the power over education, um, and so the states can do a wide variety of things. And that's and, and that's the other thing here with the security is that the federal government could allocate resources to this, but could they actually enforce how the security is implemented when the states have so much of that control? Yes, that it it's certainly up for debate. Uh, in the the current court cases, Supreme Court cases on the matter have have limited the the strings that you can attach. And, and I don't know enough about the details to know whether something like this could be passed. You could certainly, you could probably block grant certain amounts of money with strings attached to the states to implement it. But how loose or how tight you could control how the, how mm -hmm. the money is spent, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but security is certainly something you could look into. And, and in some school districts, it would absolutely make sense and be a relatively small increase in cost. You know, depending on the number of students, obviously your needs are going to vary. We were, we're talking 97,000 public schools as if all of them are of similar size and needs. And obviously that's uh -huh. not the case. Um, but anyway, it, it, it's interesting. I think, I think there, there are probably half a dozen security bills that I could imagine that that would be beneficial, relatively low cost, and I'd probably approve, right? I'd probably be able to give a thumbs up to. The second one of these two controversial topics, uh, the gun control side. It's got to be granted, first off, that if he doesn't have weapons or he has less effective weapons... I guess the effectiveness of his weapons doesn't really matter. He had plenty of ammo and time to do what he wanted in this case. But in general, well, having no, I mean, a less, less effective, effective weapon yeah, matters. If, if this was a bolt-action rifle, this probably yes, wouldn't have Yes, and he's engaging happened. with the police that if, it's if different. If this were a on. knife, he wouldn't have done this. You know what I mean? Yes, He needed yes. an effective firearm. Like he could have – maybe handgun would have worked. You know, a handgun is not ineffective in terms of weapons. Gun. Right. It didn't have right. to be an assault rifle, but it – it probably did have to be some kind of semi-automatic weapon with a, a decent-sized magazine. You're yes, and, and, and that's access a, to a lot of ammunition and more magazines. Yes, he ends up firing. Uh, I read an estimate. I don't know if this has changed, and I, and I feel like in this story that matters how recently you've looked at the news because the details have changed significantly. Uh, but this one's probably fairly stable from when I looked at it a couple days ago. Um, he fired something like 315 rounds. That's a lot of ammo. <laughs> That's a, mm -hmm. a lot of bullets. Rarely does anyone have time to get that many bullets off. And this guy had time to fire a lot more and was carrying, I, I believe, more, much more than that. Um, but anyway, yeah, if he, you're right that if he had a knife, he, this doesn't happen. If he doesn't have access to guns, this doesn't happen. Which, which is at least makes considering a gun ban something that should be considered, right? Should yeah. reasonably be discussed. Yeah, when you're looking at how do we stop this from happening, here's a, a clear-cut case of if he doesn't have the gun, a gun, he won't do it. You know what I mean? If you can stop him from having a gun, this won't happen. 
if the guns could have been taken from him before he did it? This doesn't happen. Maybe he's able to find other guns and pull it off anyway. But again, if you get the guns out of his hand any particular way, through a gun ban, through a red flag law, through a a background check that picks up something, um, if he doesn't have the weapons, he doesn't do it. So um, let's go through a couple of the, the laws that are kind of discussed. I don't know how many of these are actually on the table in the legislature. I know the the well, a great I think yeah, a great a great one to point to is is so Biden gave a speech on Thursday. I'm over here trying to think of what day it is today. Um, <laughs> sorry, after having after having a baby and I'm on parental leave, time is an enigma. You know, night, day, <laughs> Tuesday, Thursday. These things have no meaning. These things <laughs> these things have no meaning. There's there's food and there's sleep. And yes, and there's a lot of not those things. Um, but so 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 President Biden delivered a speech yesterday and he called for a number of things. And basically what he called for, in fact, one of the articles I was reading pointed out the fact that in this case, he's actually not leading any policy initiatives. He's uh, he's leading from the back where he is basically suggesting the most popular the most popular gun control ideas out there right now. And, and even as he talks about it, he's, he's very, he's very open to the fact that it doesn't need to be these things. It doesn't need to be all of them. He just wants something to be passed. And so, so basically what he's saying is any kind of gun control is going to help with this. And so, and a couple of things specifically he talks about is an assault rifle ban or a modified assault rifle ban where you can't get an assault rifle until you're 21. Um, strengthening background checks, which could incorporate universal background checks. Um, and then uh, red flag laws. Um, those are all things that, that Biden specifically talks about as something we could do. And those happen to be the, the, the biggest proposals that are out there right now. None of those, though, are, are the proposal that I keep waiting for which is the complete gun ban. Because the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, if you really want to stop these kinds of things from happening and you want to stop gun violence, shouldn't you propose a complete gun ban? Isn't that the solution, the obvious one? Yeah, and I think, I think this, is, uh, this is a question of what they think is, is politically feasible. Mm-hmm. I agree um, completely. I think a lot of people want a complete gun ban and, and realize that it's, it's not popular enough. It's worth noting as we're looking at each of these that right now the trend is moving towards more people owning guns rather than the other way. Uh, there were something like seven and a half million over the last couple of years. There was five and a half Seven, million in uh, one new year New gun alone. owners, right? New gun owners. Okay, yeah, yes, yeah. people who had never not owned just, a gun. Not just new gun purchases, but new gun owners. Yes, and it was interesting, the, the demographic breakdown. It was like 50, 50 low 50% uh, of them were white, something like 20% black, 20% Latino, and which are disproportionate, right? There's more more blacks and Latinos. Uh buying guns and uh yeah just to make it clear it's not middle-aged white men who are trump supporters who are becoming new (laughs) gun owners which no and and surprisingly the majority was the most surprising was the majority was female that is that is interesting well i mean it makes sense because if you're a middle-aged white man trump supporter you better already own a gun you know if you're a new gun owner now then you you did something wrong (laughs) 
What you have know, you been waiting because for? Because you're not living up to your, to your stereotype at that point. To your stereotype. That's right. That's right. You're way behind the stereotype. You have a responsibility. You, you should own at least 20 at this at point, this I point. think. And they all should have MAGA on the side printed. Yeah. And if you're wondering why that's a trend, uh, I'm, it should be pretty obvious from the increase in crime and things that, that people, people are losing trust in the police's ability to protect them and in the government's ability to protect them. The rioting, the, the, even the January 6th stuff, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the increase in, in the massive increase. We've talked about it before. Something, uh, you know, 20 plus percent increase in all of the, in, in the violent uh, crimes, assault, rape, murder. Uh, and in some places it's, crazy high the increase and so so it's not surprising that people are like i'm gonna have to take matters in my own hands i'm gonna have to figure out uh how to protect myself because uh obviously the government's not doing a great job as the trend the trend had been that all those crimes had been going down for decades mm-hmm. um so for them to reverse and be rapidly increasing is frightening now they're still down compared to the general trends they're still really low uh, compared to where they were years ago. And, but, and and what I think is interesting about that, Dan, is that I don't think it's just a general shift towards firearms because really what I think part of it is is that we are, we're also in a polarizing time where it's harder and harder to be in the middle. So when it comes to guns, there are less people who say, yeah, I don't own guns and I don't really know how I feel about them. You know what I mean? That more people are like, I don't. I didn't own guns, but now I realize that I need them. Or I didn't own guns, and now I'm seeing more people using guns in ways that I don't believe in, and more people have guns, and I'm actually more anti-gun. Yeah, that this may be a push of the middle people you're suggesting to to one side or the other, rather than necessarily conversion. That is my theory. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're probably right. That's probably a safe. Bet. I have been before. That's true. I've seen at least one other time. Yeah. So I can, I'll stand, I will second, I'm a witness to what Brad just said. I, he has been right before. If it turns out to be wrong, for some reason, this clip in the, in the podcast episode is just missing. Who knows? It's just disappeared. These things just happen, you know? If CNN can do it, we can do it. (laughs) Um, so as far as uh, let's talk universal background checks for a second, uh, in part because this is one of the most popular. This is one of the things that people who consider people described as common sense gun control advocates can't figure out why it's not passing. The idea is background checks as they are now are siloed by state. Um, and that means that there's there are times where someone should be flagged, but the state doesn't have the information from another state or there's some kind of uh, some kind of uh, problem there. And so someone gets a gun that shouldn't. Now, I don't have an idea of how often this happens. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is a myth, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't actually happen. Maybe it happens all the time. Um, but the reason that people like the NRA, people like the, the reason that gun rights advocates oppose this is because it will create a national gun registry. The idea is, is by making a universal registry, you can then run a background check that incorporates all the information, which makes the background check more likely to be effective. It also means that the national government knows everyone who owns a gun. And that's part of the, it's that national centralization of data 
that scares people, um, in part because one of the reasons you argue for guns is as a security against the state, against the government, and not just not just self-defense against against one other citizen or or hunting or something else, right? Universal background check is is a confusing idea because any gun owner will tell you that they already submitted to a universal background check that it's not that that how it works is there's a there's a organization the national instant instant criminal background check system and so so what happens is you go to sportsman's warehouse or cabela's you know if you're so fortunate um i don't know you know there's depending on where you live <laughs> cabela's is a really big store that's all i meant i'm not saying they're better than sportsman's warehouse this is not supposed to be store you know, you're here meaning yeah. to fire shots there that did not did not mean to uh, but uh but if you do if you do go to a cabela's i'd recommend uh the the one in 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 vegas or my thinking of bass pro shops you know what don't worry about it don't worry about it doesn't matter <laughs> um but you you fill out this form they're gonna go run it in the computer and they're gonna run it up against this database that this background check system uses and then it'll come back quickly that way you don't have to wait for them to mail stuff you know it's this, this digital system but it is a national system and so theoretically how it's supposed to work is that if you are a convicted felon in the state of Arkansas, you move to Utah and go to, you know, a sportsman's warehouse and try and purchase a firearm that triggers in that database and you can't purchase the firearm. But as always, there are, there are loopholes, there are workarounds. Um, I mean, one of the most common ones is that if you purchase a firearm for another individual, you don't have to perform a background check. And so that that bypasses that whole process. You know, you buy or you borrow a firearm from someone else. Obviously, you don't have to perform a perform a background check because now it's just individuals doing things, um, you know, let alone steal it or something let, yeah. or let alone <laughs> straw man purchase, you know, where where someone buys a gun knowing they're going to sell it to you immediately, which is which yes. is illegal, but is hard to prevent. The only way you prevent it is if they're having that conversation in the store in front of you. Yeah, for the same reason that every teenager who wants access to alcohol can get it from somebody older, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's that, just, that same kind of problem. Yes, and it's extremely hard to for the law to deal with that. There's just just any solution to that is going to be ridiculously expensive. And, and, and so, and so, things people want to do to background checks, you know, like you said, one of them is to have is to have a national registry, so you have an inventory of who owns guns and who doesn't. You can keep track of these things. Do things like have background checks where you have to wait. Um, do more thorough background checks because there are different kinds of background checks you can <laughs> do that that registry doesn't cover. Um, all sorts of things like that that can strengthen the background checks, but also make them more inconvenient and more unappealing to gun owners who happen to be a very powerful um, political force. You know, the NRA is one of the most loved and hated organizations in the United <laughs> States, and it's incredibly powerful. You know, it's like we talk about teachers unions. The NRA is another one of those lobbying groups that has a ton of power. And one of the reasons they have so much power is because they have an incredibly large base that is very unified on yeah. this one issue. 
this base disagrees on so many things, but when it comes to guns, they can all get behind it. <laughs> they can all get behind. It, there's a there's a bit of a subterfuge going on when people talk about the NRA because they try and paint it as a lobby like other lobbies, which and when we use the term lobby, what we're thinking of is we're thinking of a special interest benefiting at the expense of the of the vast majority. Um, the NRA is not that. The reason the NRA is powerful is not because uh, is not merely because of their lobbying abilities. It's because they represent a massive portion portion of the population uh, and a growing portion of the population. Mm. Um, yeah, it may be a special interest group, but when half of the country is part of that special interest group, <laughs> it's a little bit weird to just call them special interest. You know? Yeah, and to it's act not, like the lobby is like the problem. It's not like big oil. <laughs> yes, yes, it's not like big oil. It's not like uh, even the teachers' union, uh, right, is representing. Uh, there just aren't that many teachers. <laughs> there are a lot, but they certainly not a majority of the country, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, or or anywhere close to fifty percent. Whereas gun owners are a massive amount. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out with these universal, you, you pointed out, there's lots of nuances in how you shift this, making it more thorough, thorough, making it more uh, uh, changing the way the database works, tracking people, delaying things. All those are options. None of those would have had an impact on the Buffalo shooting or this shooting in Uvalde. Uh, and it's, it's because the, these are 18 year old kids with no, no felonies. I guess I don't know how old the Buffalo one was. He's somewhere between 18 and 21. I can't remember. Yeah. But if you don't have a criminal record, if you don't have, I mean, people say, okay, well, if you expand the background checks, well, what are these background checks looking for? Unless you're talking about a background check each time you hire a PI who goes and interviews family members, you know, who does all this background research to get a, a feel for this person's actions rather than their public record, then they're not going to find much. I mean, you have a lot of people who have <laughs> even had incidents and they may have even gotten a warning, but no permanent record was created. And so there's actually nothing that's going to pop up in a search. You know what I mean? You yeah. could have you could have someone who even fired their gun before, or they or they threatened someone with their gun, and and a police report was was created, but no charges were filed, the charges were dropped, and and that's not even going to show up. You know what I mean? Yes. Even on a more thorough background check, the Uvalde shooter. If you look at like his online comments and things, and the thing, the messages he sent to various women that I mentioned and other people, there's probably a basis there for an investigation or something that would have probably flagged him in some way or another. And that brings us to red flag laws, because even though background checks, strengthening background checks, because background checks do something, like as they stand now, it yes. actually does something. It stops people from getting firearms. Yeah, they have to pursue other means that are going to be harder. And because they're then less convenient, you're going to filter out at least some number of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if it's by making something more difficult, um, you're going to filter. And and so if they have to go and steal the gun or they have to buy a black market, that's going to dissuade a couple people. It's going to slow you down. It's going to take more time. It's going to take more resources. As such, it's going to have an effect of some kind. So red flag laws are, are designed to, to fix the problem we just mentioned, where you have someone who's troubled, you have someone who's having issues, and who people can see around them that they're unstable and shouldn't have a firearm, but they haven't actually committed a serious enough crime yet for them to become a convicted felon and lose their right to carry a firearm 
or be thrown in prison or whatever. Um, and so, so some states have have um, red flag laws. A great example of this is Florida, which is known as being one of the more liberal states, actually has a red flag law that they implemented, but no red state would ever follow. Let me tell you a little bit about that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, in the recent past, it was pretty liberal. It's a, Florida's a weird state. But it's become such a symbol of a red of state the in the red past state, two yes. years. Like, it is apparently yes. the most red state in the world. Who knew? Who knew? Um, anyways, as I was saying, their red flag law has been used um, more than 8,000 times in the few years that it's been in place. Oh my gosh, it's only been in place, what is that, a handful of years. It it, it was instituted after a 28 ma 2018 mass shooting, so it's been less than four years that it's been in place. Uh, it's already been used more than 8,000 times. And what it does is allow judges, when asked by police, to temporarily stop someone from owning a firearm. And, and so basically examples that they, that they mention, you have someone who, who fires a gun in the street to blow off steam after losing a family member. This is not a felony. Um, you know, firing a gun inside a city district is against the law, but it's not as serious of an offense as you would think it would be. Um, and so depending on the city, but in most cases, city, but in yeah. most, most yeah. Florida cities, that's just an average Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and so you have this person who's doing something clearly unresponsible, connected with mental stress in their life. And the judge says, yeah, you need to have your firearm taken away for a while. Um, you know, a 13 year old who says, you know, if all of eighth grade is missing tomorrow, you will know why. My, my question is how many guns does that 13 year old own already in Florida? I don't know. Um, and then, and then one of the most common ones is, is people brandishing their weapon or threatening someone with their weapon, you know, pointing it at someone or saying they're going to shoot someone and, and even before they're taken to court, even before there's a legal case brought against them, you know, because that can take a long time, the judge will step in and say, okay, this happened. We're not sure what the criminal offense is going to be, but for now, we're taking away your gun because you just threatened someone with that gun or you just pointed that gun at someone without a reason. We're going to take that gun away from, from you for now and we'll see down the line. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with how the court cases go and stuff like that. But so yeah. this is a reasonable solution that steps in and says, hey, here's this gap where people are doing things that concern people around them. And now there's an avenue where they can report that to the police. The police can report that to the judge. The judge can look at the facts and say, yes, we're going to temporarily do something. Now, of course, a lot of people are also concerned about what that might lead to. Because one of the biggest things in the United States is innocent until proven guilty. That before you have your freedoms taken away, you need to have evidence and you need to have some kind of trial. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so taking away people's property and taking away people's right to bear arms before there has been a real trial is a little bit troubling. But there's also precedent for it. Because that's what you do anytime you arrest someone is you take away their rights before they've been tried. You have to have evidence. You have to follow protocol. But you can do it as long as there's a 
a process put in for after that immediacy when it's necessary to then make sure it was necessary. And so this is something where I would say conditionally, I can see red flag laws having value, being able to actually help this real problem. But you want to make sure that the laws are created very carefully to make sure that you're not taking away people's rights. And you got to walk that line because it could easily swing the other way. Like the court system has in general, where you have someone spending two years in prison before their case is heard. You know, if you have someone who someone reports them for doing something that there's no evidence for and their gun gets taken away and they never get it back, that's clearly unjust. You need to have a system in place that's effective. Yeah, I concur with that. I think you can do it in a way that is consistent with natural rights. Um, and you can do it in a way that's really, really destructive and easily abused to the point where you're getting false tips. And so that people are using the system to disarm people they're then going to attack and stuff like that. You could, you could easily get this system abused. Or disarming people that they don't like. You know, I could see, you know, every time there's a, there's a nasty divorce – you know, if either side owned weapons, they're immediately gone. Anytime there's a divorce because they're like, oh, well, they're going to kill my kids. Yeah, yeah it's his gone. word against You know what I mean? And, yeah, and that's something that happens all the time. Divorces happen all the time. It's like just because there's a divorce doesn't mean you lose all your rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red flag gun laws are interesting that way. And, and I think in the, in the details, I could see bills that I would really like and think would be great and others that I would think would be absolutely terrible. Um. As far as uh, an assault rifle ban, Brad, this is the one that most people I, – I keep hearing this one talked about the most, maybe because it sounds pretty straightforward and simple, and maybe because it seems like a step towards a complete gun ban, but I hear assault rifle bans a lot. So so assault rifle bans are, are something that I think are just so incredibly stupid. Um, <laughs> Let me just speak for Brad for a quick second here. Note that we've given all the other ones a fair shake. This is not just us saying gun regulations are stupid. Assault rifle bans in particular are stupid. And yeah, and let me shed light on that. Um, California has laws that restrict magazine sizes, and that makes sense. And often with assault rifle bans, they'll also do bans on magazine capacity, right? Because if he can, if, if the shooter can only have a, a five round magazine, for his assault rifle, it makes it a lot harder for him to fire 300 rounds versus a 30-round magazine, right? That makes sense. I follow the logic there. Assault rifle bans are so stupid because you, if you go back and you look at the 90s assault rifle ban, so many of the things that were specifically banned were not relevant to the effective use of that firearm. Um, you know, we're talking about... For people who are familiar with firearms, we're talking about grips. We're talking about how the stocks were made. We're talking about um, um, we're talking about the the actual shroud that's over the barrel. In other words, those things that look really cool on you know on an AR-15 or an AK-47, all those cool looking bits. We're going to regulate the crap out of those. But the thing is, is that the cool looking bits aren't the dangerous part. The dangerous part is the part that actually makes the weapon deadly, which is that you have a magazine that's connected to 
the action, which has a trigger, which has a mechanism that allows it to be fired down the barrel, you know, and that's the part that matters and changing all the other parts doesn't really matter. A great example of this is, um, is right now, if your barrel length for your rifle is below 16 inches under the law, it changes and you've got two options. You can either keep it as a rifle, in which case it's no longer a regular rifle. It has, it's, it's actually a felony to possess that firearm unless you have certain, unless you've, unless you've qualified for it. You know, there's different paperwork and stuff you have to go through. There's a, there's different class levels for restricted firearms. And so you, so you go from a 16 inch barrel to a 15 inch barrel on your AR-15. And now all of a sudden this weapon is a felony for you to possess unless you have all these things. Or you take the stock off of that weapon and you replace it with a brace, which looks very similar to that stock, but has a couple of minor changes that are designed to meet the requirements of the law, but in a pinch can serve almost the exact same purpose. And now it's a pistol and it's not a rifle and there are no requirements that you need to no no extra hoops you have to jump through. You can own it, no problem. That's the kind of nonsense that assault weapon bans tend to do. Is it creates more of that nonsense, which is a pain for gun owners to navigate, but doesn't actually restrict people's ability to kill people, which is what we're looking for here. You know what I mean? We're looking in an assault weapons ban to stop people from causing from being able to commit a mass shooting and most assault weapons bans simply do not do that. And that's what's so infuriating about them. If you pass an assault weapons ban and pretty soon these gun stores are going to be selling basically the same guns. They're just going to look different. Yeah. It's, I, I heard someone describe it as, a, as an assault. I heard somebody advocating for this say assault style weapons, assault style guns. And I thought you have no idea how accurate that word style yeah, is. Exactly. Because it's you're, you're almost all the features you're talking about are cosmetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> almost all mm-hmm. of them. You can and even the ones that are somewhat functional to the the use of the weapon, you can adjust things so that you get that same utility or something comparable and bypass the requirements. Um yeah, it, it it's interesting. The, some of the gun laws are clearly written by people who are not familiar with guns. And this is this is one of those. This is one of those that doesn't really do much and, uh, and would be a waste of time. The final one that's worth talking about is the complete gun ban. Um, and this raises one of the questions about all of these, which is, in, in the end, how effective is this? How many things will this actually deter? Um, with the gun ban here, a lot of people will compare the U.S. crime statistics to other countries' statistics. And especially with regards to guns, this is a mistake for a variety of reasons, one of which is there are millions of guns out there. Any gun ban and buyback system and attempt to to bring all the guns, you know, get rid of all the guns, is going to take generations before it's successful. There's just so many guns out there. And then you would you would probably have to do some significant border control and things. Um, the countries that have been successful with it, I mean, you think of countries like they, they've often had it for a long time. They're often uh, much more controlled and small in their, their areas. They, they had far less guns originally. Um, Australia and England 
have other advantages that you can point to <laughs> being islands, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. especially Australia, where out there almost everything comes in by plane or, or on, I guess there are big boats as well, but, I was about to say, but not, you can't, not everything. You can't like, like in England, you could take a very small boat across the channel, right? And, and, and filled with weapons and, uh, but anyway. Australia doesn't quite have that. Yeah, I just want to make sure we're not on the record of saying that most of the stuff coming into Australia comes in on planes. No, because there's no, most no of way it's going to come true. on massive on no, massive shipping vessels on massive shipping vessels like it does for every other country. Versus versus you can cross the English Channel with, with a rowboat, which for smuggling is significant, and I agree with yes. that point completely. Yes, you know you're you're right to clarify my language there. I did not okay. mean to. What I meant was something more like most uh, people coming into the country or coming by plane. And gotcha. Any, anyway, okay. more, there's much more planes coming than there are massive ships. But in terms of quantity of goods, there's no question that those massive cargo ships are, are way, way more cost effective and carrying far more stuff than the planes. Anyway, in the U.S., because of the way that, that because of the gun culture, because of the, uh, the number of guns, because of how easy it is to access them and how easy it would be to get them from other places, uh, places like Mexico, um, it would be a long time before a gun ban had the intended effect. Mm -hmm. um, it would have an effect. Uh, it just wouldn't be nearly as dramatic as people hope it would because of how, uh, because of the, the particular. Yeah. I mean, you already have hundreds of millions of guns in circulation in the United States right now. So even if you banned any new guns from entering that system, access to guns is still going to be there for a long time. And any kind of system to forcibly return those guns is going to be very, very difficult, costly, and time-consuming, civil war starty to implement. <laughs> yes, we haven't even looked at the the practical thing is you're never going to be able to pass that. Not anytime soon. And that, of course, stems from, like Dan said before, is that the fact that the NRA is not a special interest group. It's representing, if not the majority of Americans, then at least almost 50%, an incredibly large minority that also happens to be incredibly well-armed. And so there are some logistical concerns there that even if, you know, even if 60% of the United States could agree, you know what, we need a complete gun ban, and they were unified in that purpose, and they were able to get all of the votes they needed to pass any law they wanted to in regards to a gun ban, it would still be an absolute nightmare to implement, even without a civil war. Because what do you do when you go to a house and say, hey, turn in all your guns? And they say, great, I would love to, but I don't own any guns. Or actually, yes, of course. Here, let me turn in my 1930s um, <laughs> uh, shotgun, single action, you know, you know, break open shotgun. Please take this. This is my only firearm. Thank you. You know what I mean? Yes. For a buyback price. For, pay for a buyback <laughs> price. That's the only gun I have. And they're like, yes, we have we have done we have restricted all sales of guns, and we have collected all twenty million of the guns in circulation. You know what I mean? Not realizing there's another hundred and eighty million just sitting there, and those are all the ones people wanted, anyways. It is a great way yes. to get of old get rid of old guns, though. Um, <laughs> no, but but that brings us back to the broader picture here in terms of of this shooting is that there are things that we can do to to fix this. You know, we can double down on security and we can put, you know, we put 10 police officers at every school in the United States 
along with an advanced security system, locking <laughs> doors, and and probably, you know, metal detectors and a few other things like, you know, maybe TSA level security at each of the entrances. <laughs> Combine that with a complete gun ban and <laughs> and ample mental health resources that are just comprehensive. You know, we, we put a trillion dollars into it like we did COVID. And and we still probably wouldn't stop all school shootings, but we'd stop 90% of them. You know what I mean? It would be effective. It would be a change. And it would be devastatingly expensive, not just in costs, but in, in, in functionality of life. You know, as you said before, school kids would be terrified of going to school. You know, all of these other hidden costs would pop up. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out a lot of things. We need to figure out, first of all, how important this is. And I know that sounds crass to say, but but it's something that we have to do on a regular basis because everything limited has a resources. Cost. Yeah, limited yeah. resources. I mean, right now we sent $40 billion to Ukraine. We didn't have to send $40 billion. We could have sent 40,000 soldiers instead, but we chose not to because of what it was going to cost in terms of human lives. You know what I mean? We could have sent over, you know, $500 billion in, in military tech instead of $40 billion, but that would have cost more. You know what I mean? And so we had to weigh it, even though Americans unilaterally support Ukraine against Russia. There's still a cost. There's still a factor. Um, and that goes with everything else. You know what I mean? I mean, children are dying from a number of things on a regular basis every day, and there's ways to fix it, but they come at a cost. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there's so many things we need to consider and we need to wait and we need to figure out how much we prioritize it and then figure out, well, okay, based off of that, you know, because I think we I, I think we can agree that this is serious and that even though it's rare, we do want to do something. And I think that's reasonable. I think we should look at all of these solutions and say, okay, what are ones we can actually implement for a reasonable cost? And then start working towards those. And maybe things like reasonable red flag laws are something that could be be proposed. You know, maybe something like not 10 security guards, but revamping the school doors to make sure they all lock. And maybe putting locking doors in each of the classrooms and, and adding an extra SRO and having a better system set up for lockdown procedure, you know different things like that, you know, so that we can get alerted sooner so that those doors can be closed, you know, because what's the point of a door that can lock if he can get in before the door is locked, you know, and different mm -hmm. proposals like that, that we can look at that are actually possible and that are reasonable that will help, but it's never going to stop it. And, and at the end of the day, tragedy does happen. And to some degree, it is going to be unavoidable. We're never going to be able to stop all suffering in this world. And that's just the sad reality of it. Yeah. And we can go a long ways towards badly using our resources by trying by not to, prioritizing trying to get it things. to zero. Yeah. Yes, I think we should definitely try and mitigate this suffering. But we have to understand that we're never going to be 100% successful. Yes. Yes. And to do that, as you, you pointed out, you... You can't consider this topic in isolation. You need to consider the, the most effective solutions to this that you can come up with relative to cost and then weigh them against 
other options that would mitigate suffering, right? You've, mm-hmm. you, you've got to really consider this issue well. You have to not only analyze this well and look at these, this well and come up with a variety of solutions at different price points, but then weigh it against alternative uses for that, for those resources. And that's something I like that some conservatives have done about Ukraine is comparing it to a specific thing. I would love for people to take a look at the federal budget and say, we're spending $300 billion in this area that makes no sense. Let's take 200 billion of that and invest it in point A, B, and C in helping security and mental health and and red flag laws nationwide. And here's our laid out plan of how we're going to use that money in a much more effective way than it's being used now. Because that's exactly right, is that we're not just spending dollars. Every time we spend these dollars, we're spending them instead of something else. Yes, and that definitely yes. needs to be factored. And I think in this case, we will find that it is more useful than many other things, but not all other things. And with that, thank you guys for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.